to the Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local craft makers to reinvent the way food and beverage products get to market in Oregon. Our vision is to inspire, mentor, support, and assist local producers to reach their fullest potential. For over 40 years, Market of Choice has been supporting local farmers, ranchers, fisher folks, and entrepreneurs. We believe the way we source products has a positive ripple effect across our great state. That's why we are proud to offer over 7,000 local products to our stores and that the majority of our purchases support our robust regional food system. Thanks, Market of Choice. So I've been yeah. getting a lot of orders from them lately, which is really good because they're still open and going strong. So thanks for being out there for us, all those Market of Choice employees that are working. Yeah. Hello, good morning. Welcome to Masoni and Marshall, a meaningful marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear the stories of female food entrepreneurs. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. I am Sarah Masoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. We're so glad that you guys joined us live today. Uh, we're honoring our social distancing for each call-in show still, so uh, we're recording from our homes. But we thought it's important for us to hear some stories of hope and um, hear from all our food friends out there in this moment of uncertainty. Sarah, I know that you have been working from home because, and your staff because I just mailed you a bunch of pH readers from my canning shop. <laughs> That's right. I, we, we were all on our staff meeting and we we're talking about how we wish we had pH meters in our kitchen labs at home. And I said, oh, Sarah Marshall has pH meters. Let's order from her. <laughs> how is it going working from home? I don't mind it. I mean, it sometimes I miss being in the building where I have all the resources, but mostly I'm making a good go of it. And I think people are taking advantage of the time to connect a lot through telephone conversations and Zoom videos and it's pretty good. That's good. So you can still connect with your team and keep things going from home. Exactly. Awesome. Are you exactly. getting a lot of new requests from startup businesses? We have no shortage of people wanting to work with us. Yeah. Uh, and people in the food industry are just moving forward because we all have to eat. Yeah, totally. I think that's yeah. good. And I think Positive. it's a good message for people to hear, especially mm -hmm. if they, not to be afraid to start up something like this at this time. It's still a good idea. Yeah. yeah so keep, idea. keep going, everybody. 
Go, go, go. <laughs> uh, I have uh, just some food news to talk about. Last week, we had um, talked about some links and resources for people that need different kinds of aid or grants. And I know some of those we talked about last week have closed, but I wanted to say that there are still some um, grants and loans up on the Small Business Association website, and they add new different ones all the time. So I know they just added one that's involving um, employees specifically and payroll checks. So Go check those out. That's the Small Business Association website. Yeah. And did you have any food news today, Sarah? I have a couple of things. Um, Boomf Innovation Labs uh, did an instructions and material list to make your own face masks. So if you go on their website, boomphinnovationlab.com, you can print it out. It's like doing an origami mask. It's pretty cool. I'm going to make one today. I love that they did that because remember when we had them on the show, their history was that they were engineers and I know, medical design. Yeah, it's yeah, really neat so that cool. they they use that um, past experience to help people out at this time. So thank you yeah. guys for doing that. Yeah, I got my box of chocolate and I got my box of salami. And I wanted to let people know that some of the larger hotels and restaurants around town are selling food. So if you sleuth around on Instagram, you'll find links to, for instance, Jake's Grill um, between, I think, 11 and 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. You can call in and order. There's a list of food items that you can purchase, and the price is very reasonable. And Nikki USA um, also has a family food box with all sorts of delicious meats in it. So Keep your eyes yeah. open for that. Pacific Coast Fruit also has a, a series of different boxes that they will deliver. Yeah, so. and uh, Chef's Warehouse, too. So all the places that us food makers usually order from, like the restaurant owners and food producers, usually the general public can't order stuff from them. So you can do that now, which is really cool because um, mm -hmm. it's great product and it helps keep their businesses going at this time that that the restaurants have closed. So yeah, and if we, you don't feel like going to a grocery store, you can just drive by, call them, and they'll put the box in your trunk. Yeah, it's a great way to do it. Yeah. So we're not alone on our call today. We have um, a special guest, one of my lovely friends. Uh, we're joined today by Claudia Lucero, the owner of Urban Cheese Craft. Claudia is a cookbook author and the CEO of Urban Cheesecraft. Uh, she brings high quality supplies and instructions for making cheese kits at home. So welcome, <laughs> Claudia. Thank you so much. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Hi. <laughs> We're so glad to hear your voice. Yeah. Oh, likewise. I know. I've been in a cave for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. I think we all have cheese. <laughs> right. Making cheese. Yeah. Helping people yeah. make cheese. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, we want our listeners to be able to connect to you and um, help you connect to them. Can you give us your social media handle so people can follow along on your journey? Absolutely. So um, because I make kits and books for people who eat dairy and um, who don't eat dairy, I have a couple of different um, identities out there. So on Instagram, you can just find me at Urban Cheesecraft. And then there's another one that's at Urban Cheesecraft underscore dairy free. And Facebook is just Urban Cheesecraft. And Twitter is Cheese Kits PDX. I don't even and then know. If, 
I knew all of those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not super duper active on all of them, but Instagram I am. Oh, cool. I knew the Instagram, but I didn't know the um, Twitter. We, ha- we have a um, Twitter, Missonian Marsh. So I'll oh, make sure to connect with you on there. <laughs> awesome. She's Kids PDX. Yep. Awesome. Um, before we talk about your history of your business, let's talk about uh, the here and now of everything going on. I would think that your kits have a lot of relevance for people being at home and not being able to get to the grocery store and they can make their own cheese. How how are you seeing things right now for your business? Yeah, you're totally right, Sarah. And, and you know, I really didn't know what was going to happen as, you know, all the restaurants started closing and just kind of a lot of food um, businesses were extremely affected, right? Either totally closed down or just totally overwhelmed. And I'm just at home going, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Um, and very, very quickly, as soon as people started spending time at home, especially once the schools um, closed and the kids were at home, parents started looking for something to do with kids. So I'm as busy as ever right now, which I'm so, so grateful for. I feel like such, you know, one of the lucky ones right now. Um and who knows how long that will last, you know, if it's like a novelty right now, like everybody's, you know, sort of nesting and making bread and um, all of that. I think it helps us feel secure. And, and like I said, it's an activity to just keep busy, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, you're very insightful. I, it took me a little bit by surprise that you would probably have been smarter than I was. <laughs> I was like, okay, we're all going to shut down for a while. Take a, take a break. But no such luck. <laughs> Actually, I mean, <laughs> I know I'm very lucky. So it's really nice to know that people are making cheese, not only because it's a great activity and it helps you feel secure um, to have this skill, but it's so relaxing, as you know, with canning and um, making pickles and things like that. It's very much a meditative, repetitive thing, right? And I think right now, anything we can do to keep that monkey mind busy is going to help our anxiety. So that makes me super happy. Yeah, I think also um, not only giving you something to do, but it gives you something to be proud of. So at a time that people are kind of scared and nervous, and then you make this cheese at home with your family and everybody's stoked on it, it's like very exciting. So you're bringing some hope into your day, which is really cool. I I know from experience because I have some of your cheese kits on (laughs) and I made it with my fam and it's just like, it it gives you an activity. It gives you something great. So it's really nice. I would recommend, you know, people do these if they have their family at home. Kids love it. I um, took my That's daughter. so great to, to hear. Oh, yeah, totally. I took my <laughs> daughter to one of your cheese um, classes that you did. I know. How could I forget? She loved it. <laughs> that was so cool. It was so fun. So that one, we were stretching and pulling cheese and it was a really cool experience for her because now, you know, she's sick. So anytime she sees cheese, she's like, I've made cheese before. (laughs) (laughs) It's a total like badge, you know, I've thought about that doing kind of like Girl Scout badges (laughs) that you get when you make each cheese. Because, you know, when you say that people feel proud, it's so true because that is kind of the awe that I felt the very first time I stretched mozzarella. And that really was the moment that I was like, why don't we all know how to do this? I must tell people. <laughs> yeah. Sarah Masoni, have you stretched mozzarella before? I have actually a long time ago. 
I know that you're an old time cheese maker, so I figured. Yeah. <laughs> ah, I didn't know yeah. that. I was Very cool. About that actually, I worked at the Blue Heron in Tillamook. We had a small wow. cheese factory there, and I made French cheeses. So, ah, semi soft surface ripened. Yeah, and um, I spent time there, and I. Well, because we were right near Tillamook Cheese, we actually bought our culture from Tillamook. So I would go over into the back of the Tillamook Cheese factory and go into the depth, you know, deep inside into this room that was like where they grew all the cultures. I don't know if they do that anymore, but. I know they sold it. That's pretty amazing because I know they make their own. They sold, sold what? That they, they they sold their culture to people like oh I think they, they actually gave it to me. <laughs> yeah, really that's it. amazing no so what would happen was on the days I was gonna make or the day before I would make cheese a little uh, truck would come around that had like a thousand gallon um, container on the back and we'd load it into the holding tank and then I'd transfer it over with a pump into a vat pasteurizer. And I'd um, pasteurize the milk and then inoculate it and wait for the curd, the, mm-hmm. you know, the cheese to get solid. And then I'd cut the curd and put yeah. it in hoops and let it sit and drain and then salt it and all those things. How large were your batches at a time? I'm always uh, amazed the, at how it looks the same, even if you just make one gallon, you know? It was 200 gallons. So wow. I would, yeah, I would. Uh, make it and then it would get transferred into these big five gallon or maybe they were I don't know how many gallon maybe 20 gallon white buckets Uh and that's where the curd actually set and that's where it would cut it a magic moment (laughs) and that's actually the format that they were using down in Petaluma at the uh, Rouge et Noir cheese factory Mm-hmm. I actually went down there and spent the day with them learning how to make cheese. Wow. Them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's cool. so yeah. cool. It's, it's cool to um, see, you know, it's like kind of like when I got my start in canning, but then that led to a business. It's like you start with these small scale things. And then once you realize your own, um, you know, style and deal, I think that probably your cheese kits have inspired some of that, Claudia, do you think? I think so. You know, it's so funny. It's called Urban Cheesecraft. And I totally thought, you know, because at the time I was living in an apartment, I grew up in apartments, but I always kind of had this yearning for, you know, these kind of like country skills. And I thought, you know, I want to take this to people in the city that just have a tiny kitchen. They're not going to have like a giant, you know, five or larger gallon pot to make cheese. And obviously they don't have a cow (laughs) handy. Um, But very quickly, because I started this, I launched the business in 2009. um, And a lot of people at the time, because the economy, you know, were leaving like big tech jobs and moving to the country and simplifying. It was the recession. So a lot of people in the country actually learned by using my cheese kits. And that was a total surprise to me then as well, because I really thought it's going to be for people like me, you know. Um, so that's been super cool. And it's amazing sometimes that people are like, I got a herd of goats. I'm going to get one of your kids and learn to make <laughs> cheese. And I was like, wow, that's a little backwards. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> but 
you know, I guess yeah. they wanted the milk. And then yeah. once they saw how much milk they got, they were like, this is why people make cheese. Yeah, then they need yeah. something to do with that. I, I get a lot yeah. of people that come to my canning classes because they're like, I started a garden. I planted, you know, 30 tomato plants. And then oh, I'm gosh. like, whoa, that's a lot of tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, you need something to do with it. So it's that's like a lot that. of tomato. Yeah. 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 So quickly, preservation becomes our tool, right? Like, yeah. oh my gosh, I, I worked hard for this. I don't want to waste it. What do I do with it? Yeah. There's a lot right. of memes right now about fermentation. Um, I saw this one where this lady was standing there and her husband came in and she goes, I, f- I fermented everything. I, like, oh, <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I can well, relate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, Claudia is part of putting on the fermentation festival that happens here in Portland every That's year. Right. Oh. Do you want to tell our listeners about that? Claudia? Yeah, absolutely. I'm such a fermentation nut. I started going just as a, an attendee and then very quickly started teaching workshops and having a boost there. And it just was this very natural thing to become um, one of the organizers. So I do it along with my friend Heidi Nestler, who makes Nacho in town, uh, fermented soybeans, and uh, with Liz Crane, who's an author and and recipe developer in town. Uh, And yeah, we just had our 10-year 10-year anniversary this last October, which was exciting. We got to have um, David Silver from NOMA, the NOMA Fermentation um, Lab, uh, come, uh, yeah, I know we totally lucked <laughs> out. It was that's such an good. exciting that's 10 years. Huge. <laughs> yeah, we just got super lucky. Um, one of my, my, one of my publishers, um, owns his sister company uh, and it just kind of worked out that I contacted them and said, could you just send them this invitation and see what happens? And he came. And so it was a great, great festival. We'll see this year. I don't know if we're going to, I mean, it would be historic like many other things this year, uh, you know, if we had it, but we'll stay connected to the community for sure. We have a Facebook group called Portland Fermentation Festival. Um, If people want to go and get some projects right now, uh, because we're still posting throughout the year and we'd love to see people ferment. So, you know, there's anything from umeboshi to sourdough to all kinds of um, different kimchis and things like that on there. That's awesome. Oh, I love that, I, that resource is out there for people. Yeah. I've seen so many people making kimchi. Like everybody's making kimchi right now. And about eight years ago, nobody even knew what kimchi was. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, right now, you know, since we can't go to the grocery store very often and people are starting gardens, it's such a perfect thing to do because you'll always have a little salad you can whip up, a little condiment to go with your meals, right? And Mm -hmm. that's the first thing we're running out of is the fresh food because staples keep, but the fresh food, you're like, whoops, after one week. (laughs) (laughs) Just make a nice little slaw, sauerkraut type of thing. Yeah. The second most popular thing I'm seeing people make is banana bread. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, because they're bananas they stock up on are going brown. Everybody's <laughs> making banana bread. <laughs> I always just throw throw bananas in the freezer and then use them for smoothies later. I, I, don't, oh, I, totally. I don't even know if I've ever made banana bread. <laughs> well, get on it. Maybe I'll do it now. I don't know. It's a good time. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm not much of a baker, so I do the same as you, Sarah, or um, I make the pops, you know, where you put a stick in them, freeze them, and then you can drizzle them in chocolate and nuts, and that's like amazing ice cream. Oh, um, yeah. I yeah. should do that for Adeline. She would love it. Oh, oh, totally. You can have fun <laughs> with all the different toppings, yogurt or peanut butter. Yeah. yeah. Buddy, I have a question for you. How many different um, kits do you have? And then secondly, how did you come up with all of the different recipes that you have? Yeah. So let's see. I started in 2009 with three kits. I was like, okay, in order to have a full line, I feel like I need to have a variety of three. And I started on Etsy. Uh, I was working a nonprofit at a nonprofit organization here in town um, called the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls. And that's what I'd gone to school for. And I worked at all nonprofits and social services um, before that. Um, and I decided to do something on the side. So that's why I launched on Etsy. So <clears throat> I did uh, what I thought were popular cheeses. So I did a mozzarella ricotta kit, a queso blanco and paneer, and a goat cheese kit. And that was it for many, many years. And then I just kind of went nuts. <laughs> so now I have <laughs> seven, seven dairy kits. So I added feta and mascarpone and burrata. And um, then I put them in a big deluxe kit. And then I made a tiny little farmer's cheese kit that I thought would be really great for kids because you don't even need a thermometer. You just basically simmer milk, add acid and, you know, curd happens. Um, and then, I mean, really, I shouldn't say and then because really from day one, people were asking for dairy-free. They would come to my classes and uh, they would email me and say, you know, I, I would love to share this with so-and-so who's lactose intolerant or my daughter is vegan or she's allergic. Can I use soy milk or almond milk instead of regular milk with your kids? And as you know, Sarah Masoni, you can't really just swap that in and have magical <laughs> cheese. I wish. <laughs> true. But, you know, it planted that seed. And so I started experimenting with dairy free. And, you know, I'd been through years where I had gone vegan in my youth and in high school, I was making all kinds of like macaroni and cheese sauces and things like that. Um, after being vegetarian for many years, you know, you're always kind of like trying to cross that line. Um, but cheese, you know, is one of people's last, last things to go. So um, <laughs> I find like when I'm hungry and I go to the fridge, I always go to the cheese drawer. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it really is a power food, right? So yeah, it's, it's a hard thing. Nutrient dense. And it stuff, is. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, this, the, the vegan option was a request that was so strong and steady for so long that I did experiment. And in 2015, I did a Kickstarter um, for two dairy-free kits. So I basically put it out and said to people, if you help me raise this money, you'll get, you'll, you'll allow me to produce these kits, basically helping pay for all of the time that I recipe tested and making them and getting them to you. And so it worked in 10 days. Cool. I raised my goal. Yeah. In 30 days, I raised twice the goal. So I was able to make those. And that was the first time I'd ever kind of appealed to the public and kind of was like, okay, put your money where your mouth is and let's see if you really want this. 
I'm um, having a Kickstarter campaign is really tough. Can you tell us oh. what some of your tips would be to somebody who's thinking about doing a Kickstarter campaign? Yeah, exhausting. I would say exhausting. dedicate one person full time to it because that's what it took. I really could do nothing else. And as soon as I would stop all of the like updates and goals and, you know, full on social media, newsletters, press releases, all of that, if that lapsed for one day, all of the um, contributions, you know, tanked for that day. So it's really a completely active uh, process the entire time and just reach out to everyone, you know, and tell them about it. Um, but it was a really positive experience. I just really had to work hard for that money. Um, which, you know, I think is fair because I didn't have to put my money up for it, um, which I'd, I've done for every single other other product that I've created. And it's a risk, right? When you're putting something out that you think is going to do well, and then let's see if it works. <laughs> so your, your kits are in really cool boxes. Do you have a good connection for getting cool boxes made? Um. No, you know, it really has to do with my designs. I I hear what the retail stores tell me about um, what works for them and what doesn't. And then I imagine the experience at home. I want it to be fun. I, I want it to be recyclable, uh, compostable whenever possible. And then with that in mind, I usually take a box that is already in existence, find a million things wrong with it, and then <laughs> um, tell the box makers, you know, what if we did this and could they then stack more um, uh, steadily if we tried this way? And so then I end up with these boxes. I think I'm just fascinated by packaging. So I may get way more complicated for myself and probably way more expensive for myself than I need to. Um, <laughs> I think the package um, is really cool. I think back to when I was a little kid, like growing up in Minnesota, and my friend's mom was really organized. She took Velveeta boxes and had her whole um, toy room for the kids was organized uh -huh. in Velveeta boxes. So oh, I can wow. imagine. Wow. <laughs> I don't know where to start with that. That's a lot of Elvita to eat. Too much, too much Velveeta. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's a great segue into telling yeah. you about uh, the new dairy-free mixes, which is a line of 10. That's, this is what I meant about Whoa, I meant too I know. Too many. Talk about expensive <laughs> projects. So if this is about guiding people in business, let me just say, I wish I'd remembered my first launch where I just did the three products instead of doing 10 products because that really was a self-funded risk. It's basically really expensive research and market, you know, as yeah. you put these all out and see which ones do well, which ones don't. Well, they're not all equally popular. So I wish that I, I would have um, just tried three or four. So that's what I'll scale back down to. Um, but the reason I said the, the Velveeta is a great segue is because I made some really way healthier but delicious and equally addictive options to something like a nacho cheese or a queso, that kind of thing. So I have a creamy mac option, a fondue, an alfredo, and a, uh, did I say nacho, a spicy nacho? Um, and what's really cool about these is that they're little single packs. So instead of getting a kit where you have all the separate ingredients and you have to mix them up, I pre-mixed everything for people. So then they literally just add water, the nuts, simmer it, and then they have a sauce or, or a wheel in 15 minutes. So 
it's a pretty different thing when it comes to vegan cheeses out there. And those have soared right now because they are a pantry item and people aren't able to get the convenient, you know, maybe Daya shreds or whatever other dairy-free thing they they might have um, bought regularly before. So that's been cool. And I feel a little bit validated because they were a difficult thing to put out in stores. They are shelf-stable, so they don't go with the vegan cheeses in the fridge. Um, but, and then they don't really do well in the cheese department, which we tried at new seasons and people just aren't shopping there for dairy free cheeses, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, so they've been tricky, just kind of like, where do we put them? How do we explain to people what they need to do in order to make them? Um, so yeah, the challenges continue, but you know, it's like, uh, when you're creating something that's not out there already, (laughs) it's tough to be a pioneer, man. (laughs) Yeah. Innovating. We're Claudia, we're gonna take a quick commercial break and then we'll come back and I want you to walk us through what it would be like for somebody to order something off your site and make cheese at home. Awesome. All right, we'll be right back. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences. Because food brings people together. And we're back from break. So, Claudia, I wanted to talk about, um, as you mentioned, these dairy-free kits. People might not really know how to make dairy-free cheese, where they maybe have a little more knowledge about Um, regular cheese making. So if someone was at home and they ordered your kit, they could probably make some of these things with what they have on hand at home, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially the dairy-free ones right now, as you mentioned, because you either use nuts or seeds or beans or veggies. And the veggies are the hearty veggies like carrots, potatoes. Um, If you have like jarred red peppers, those are really nice. Um, so those are really, really great to have right now, or even like, um, cauliflower, if you have, it's really great for the Alfredo sauce. Um, so the basic steps, uh, I'll go through the mixes cause those are kind of the easiest and most popular right now. Uh, the larger kits make 10 batches and they're great if it's like a family that wants to make it really regularly and there's really into kind of from scratch cooking. Um, but what I found with dairy free is that people weren't necessarily into the skills kind of like they they would be with regular dairy cheese making in some cases they're just like i just want to eat mac and cheese and i just want it to be easy you know um so you take this mix and um i use um, dehydrated mushrooms all kinds of spices sea salt tapioca starch for thickness agar powder acts as the gelling agent and i approach this more as like how would I make a really delicious creamy sauce or really rich soup um, just regularly with regular food? I didn't want to take this like scientific stance of like, I need the perfect melt. And, uh, you know, and I think that that's the way that a lot of the commercial cheese, uh, vegan cheese makers um, approach it. And so you end up with these really plasticky things that, yeah, they might melt and they have the 
sheen and, and look of mozzarella or cheddar, but then it doesn't taste like real food. Um, so that was really important to me. And I wanted to make it really like allergy friendly and, you know, nothing soy and no, no need for canola oil and all that kind of stuff. So basically they take the little mix, they put it in the blender, add, let's say we're going to do um, uh, uh, cashews because people love cashews and they taste great with dairy-free stuff. They're so creamy and kind of once you soak them, they don't have a really strong flavor at all. Uh, same with almonds. And I like to use almond flour as an extra um, convenient thing. You put a cup of soaked cashews in with a mix, a cup and a quarter of water. Um, you can even splash in a little beer for the, the um, nacho cheese, for example, make like a beer cheese. You can splash in a little white wine for the fondue. Uh, an extra clove of raw garlic is wonderful. Um, and you add a drizzle of oil, blend it all up, essentially make like a soup, really just a savory, thick, thick nut milk. And if you were using carrots, it would just be um, thickened, you know, with the carrots. And, you know, this is all steamed, already cooked carrots. Once you have that savory milk, then you um, simmer it. It takes no more than five minutes. And then that tapioca, or if it's a solid cheese that you can shred, the agar powder all activates and just thickens. And I mean, it's like magic. It really does have that same um, feeling of awe, just as when you're creating a curd, because you see this liquid start kind of thickening like a roux, but even even thicker or really like curds and you just keep stirring 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 and kind of you know like a bechamel sauce or something like that it just thickens beautifully and you end up with this luscious um, sauce then if it were a solid one all you do is pour it into a container and it's going to keep the shape of that container so you can get super creative and make like a heart-shaped wheel and you know um, make lots of little ones and cupcake tins things like that I like to use even like sushi molds and the little like animals. <laughs> um, That's cool. Yeah. And then you just let it cool and it's ready to slice and shred and put onto really cute little cheese platters. So really, I saw really you easy. have videos. You have videos on your website, yes. right? Yeah. And that was part of that education that I mentioned um, earlier. It's just like this is people are going to wonder how you do this. I do always tell people it's kind of like a, a cake mix, a pancake mix. You add a couple things and, you know, everything else is there ready for you. But yeah, the videos are just like a minute, minute and a half each. And I go through and I use every example of every possible ingredient, um, including the veggies and seeds and beans that you can use. And then mm -hmm. you see every single cheese from beginning to end until you serve it. So it's really um, a quick snapshot of like, oh, that's how it works. You know, super easy. So General Mills has Betty Crocker. Um, do you have somebody that you would think of that could be <laughs> like a, a spokesperson for your business? Oh, my gosh. I love Amy Sedaris so much. <laughs> and it would be so hilarious to have her <laughs> talk about my stuff. I, I wonder if she would be like, ew, don't eat the vegan one. <laughs> you just be totally honest. You know? Have you sent her your kit? I haven't. No, yeah, I should. Totally. Oh my gosh, she's been totally. She's been so inspiring to me. I don't know if you guys remember that she was doing um, cupcakes and selling them to cafes like before she got really famous, and that was how she made money. <laughs> yeah, she's a food entrepreneur just like us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. 
Well, I was going to say, Claudia, because you were talking about the nut free cheeses that um, the other day, if people saw on my Instagram or maybe it's on my husband's, but we made fondue and we eat dairy, but we used your cheese kit to start it. The fondue nut yeah. one and I had cashews and then we just uh-huh. added some cheese into it that we had because we didn't have that much cheese, but we had a little uh-huh. bit. So maybe uh-huh. that's like a big pot for my family. So it was really cool. I told my daughter, we have to do fondue now. Sarah Marshall was fondue. (laughs) You know, you're not the first one. It made me realize that there's actually um, a niche to fill out there. People have been asking if they can use the Alfredo mix, but add regular milk to it. So I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, whatever I make, people turn it into their own thing. I love that. So it's really uh, you nice stretch your dairy. That's yeah, because so cool. you it made it so that we could make this dish that we wouldn't have been able to make because we can't, you know, aren't going to the store. So it was really great to have it on yeah. hand. So I just yeah. thought of something that I should be talking about. Um, Oregon State University's Department of Food Science and the Food Innovation Center now have a dairy innovation grant. Huh. Um, it's a state funded. Um, the, some of the people that supported it were the dairy um, dairy farmers, um, I think it's called Oregon Dairy Farmers Association. And basically in the session last fall, or maybe it was about a year ago, we um, were given $250,000 to help people grow businesses based on dairy products here in the state. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So we have some small projects going. There's a company um, down in the valley that's doing a product I call berry milk. So it'll be berries on the bottom. You just shake mm. up your milk. Um, mm-hmm. We have a company that's doing a drinkable yogurt. And we have mm. somebody else working on some other uh, unique beverages. And so I just throw that out there if you're a small farm um, with uh, cow dairy and you're interested in maybe transitioning to something where you can make and sell dairy products, you should contact me at the Food Innovation Very cool. Center. Yeah. Um, hey, Claudia, uh, yeah. I was going to uh, talk about our our relationship because I think it's really inspiring for other small business owners because we met a few years ago. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes I talk about how when you have a business on your own, it, you don't have a lot of people to talk things over with. So, <laughs> right. um, so you and I together have been able to support each other over these years just by having somebody to chat with and talk about. And I recently hired uh, a super awesome employee because you recommended her to me yeah. at a time that I didn't have anybody. And so... Um, yeah, I just it was so mention, perfect. Yeah, I wanted to see yeah, Gwenny is is my employee and she's awesome. So thank you for sending her my way. Yeah, absolutely. Such a skilled but, chef. She's yeah, great. she is. She's amazing. And um, and I wouldn't have found her without you. So I just wanted to say that I appreciate having you in my life and around. Oh, and- oh my gosh. Likewise. Yeah. Somebody that can understand. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. No coworkers is rough sometimes. <laughs> it is. It is. And so we really need each other. So I just wanted to mention that too, to our listeners, because sometimes um, it can be a little bit of a lonely life. So the way that, um, you know, what I really want to tell people is that 
I have found these great relationships and these other, um, you know, women entrepreneurs around town and, and you are definitely one of them. So thanks for being part of my life. Likewise. (laughs) Likewise. Thank you. And Claudia and I also, one thing, one tip I wanted to mention is that this season, um, you know, this holiday season, Claudia and I shared a booth at many holiday events. And I want to talk about how nice that is because, one, it brings the cost down. So I could do more events because Claudia and I were sharing a table at a bunch of different events. And they're, you know, they're expensive. Holiday events are, are expensive, but it's because you do sell a lot, but it's not always easy to pay all that money up front at once. So Claudia and I split our booth fees at quite a few events. And then the other thing that's cool about it is that then you can support each other and talk about each other. So as people would come up, I would be like, oh, yeah, you got to try this cheese. Or, you know, if my parents were working the booth for me, they would do the same. So it's a nice way to support each other and bring costs down. It's so smart. And thank you for suggesting that we did that because I had already kind of resigned myself to like, okay, I can budget in two shows maybe for the holiday season. And then being able to do it with you just doubles that. And just even being able to like run to get water, go to the bathroom, get some food while someone else is there at the booth because we're usually on our own. It's so, so helpful. So yeah, team up, reach out. Yeah, it yeah. was a really it's good a um, good way to do it this year. But we hadn't done that before. Maybe just, uh-huh. maybe every once in a while, but we did it a lot. Uh, you know, we shared a booth at quite a few things, and it was really yeah. nice. Super and it's good. just nice to have a buddy. When Claudia and I did some events that maybe weren't as busy, we would just hang out and chat and um, have you know make things more fun. <laughs> yes, especially if they had wine. If it was a wine oh, yeah. event. <laughs> You guys, um, Sarah, you should totally make like a jalapeno, um, chopped jalapeno bottle, like a five ounce that she could put, that Claudia could put in a box for a jalapeno jack. Oh, totally. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah, at our events where we were able to give samples, um, I think one time either I made a ricotta or mascarpone and we served it with, I think it was something jalapeno inspired that you made, wasn't it? A chipotle or something. A really good bite. Yeah. Yeah. So if we worked on products, jalapeno jack or whatever, and you just buy the chopped um, pickled peppers in a huge bucket and dump it in. So I don't see why you couldn't have a five-ounce bottle. That would be awesome. Let's think of something. Yeah. Yeah, we should try it. I I wanted to mention, too, that not only do you have your kits online, but you also have your books. Do you want to talk about the books that you've written? Yeah. So um, the books were really a big turning point for my business because I always knew I wanted to write a cookbook, but I didn't really know that it would be in cheese. And like I said, I had the full-time job, which I, I did for three years while I launched this business. And the year that I really was like, uh, you know, it's getting to be so busy um, and it was going to be the holiday season, which, you know, the kits are great gifts. So they do really well during the holiday season. It was just getting really tough to manage a job at the same time. Well, that very same month that um, it was looking like I was giving my notice, although I was really afraid, you know, because of the health insurance and as small as it was, the regular paycheck is helpful. So um, William Sonoma came my way and said, we're launching an agrarian line and we're looking for a cheese kit. We tested what's out there and we'd like for you to make our cheese kit. 
And at first, believe it or not, I said no. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> there's no way I can handle the, the volumes you're talking about. I never had that in mind for my business. I just want to keep doing it in my small operation. I don't want to hire people. And, they, you know, they twisted my arm, twisted my arm. And so that happened. Well, that very same month, um, Workman Publishing came my way and said, we heard about your um, kit from Bust Magazine, which is this really great feminist magazine. And the editor was sweet enough to, to mention my kit because she um, writes the, the book Stitch and Bitch um, for knitting. Debbie Stoller. And she mentioned her. She mentioned my kits to the editor. And so then the editor came my way and said, uh, we'd love for you to write a cheese making book. What would it look like? And because I'd been teaching classes and I knew that my kits that kind of make cheese in one hour um, were the popular ones because, you know, in the classes, especially people really wanted to be able to come in and have something done and, and see it before their very eyes before they left. And I thought, you know, there isn't really a book out there that any beginner can pick up and attempt any cheese. There are great cheese-making books out there, but, you know, they really are pretty advanced and require people to set up uh, an environment at home to kind of mimic the whole cave vibe, you know, with the right humidity and the right temperature and all. And it's and just, it's a lot for people to take on. And they wanted people to feel confident to make something and have success. And then maybe once they have the confidence, go on in, in levels and take on the more difficult ones. So the book became One Hour Cheese. At first, it was just a working title and it stuck. So it sounds a little bit like an infomercial, <laughs> but, uh, but it tells you exactly what you're going to do, right? So um, that one was came out in 2014. And then um, because of the Kickstarter with the dairy-free cheeses, we the the same publisher workman said, "Let's do one-hour dairy-free cheese." So then that one came out last year, um, and that's the same thing where it's tons of step-by-step photos and you know um, lots of things that you can cook with the cheeses as well. So I had a lot of fun with both of them. My partner took the photos. We did it, you know, at crazy hours of the night here at home. Um, but we're super proud of them. And I actually have a new one coming up. Oh, what's your new one? Can you say uh, that? <laughs> yes, I can. Like really, literally as of this week, it's available for pre-order online. It is called Instant Pot Cheese. So, what? <laughs> yeah, so that same idea of I want it to be accessible. I want it to be easy. But basically, I'm in love with the Instant Pot just for cooking, you know, because, um, you know, if you're recipe developing, sometimes you just don't want to even cook food for yourself to eat because you've been in the kitchen so long already. Um, and so the Instant Pot is amazing because you just put stuff in there, you know, from meat to legumes, all kinds of stuff. And, and with pressure, it's like delicious and done so fast. But what I loved about it was the yogurt button. But I thought, like, there's a whole setting, and all we're using it for is yogurt. There has to be more that we can do that. And so I really dove into what the temperatures are for the different yogurt settings. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I can totally make cheese with that. Like, not only quick mozzarella, but cultured cheeses, you know. So um, I pitched it, and it was definitely a welcome pitch. Um, and I rushed into converting all of my recipes into instant pot cheese recipes. So that they are really quick ones like paneer that you can make under pressure. Um, but then, like I said, the cultured ones, which are, you know, just delicious, more complex flavors that you get over time and with bacteria. Wow. I'm going to go get those 
books. Yeah. I'm That's really excited job. about Instant Pot Cheese, even though it's only up for pre-order right now. What I'm hoping is that because people are home right now, we can release a couple of recipes um, and then, you know, kind of be able to give this gift to people <laughs> at home right now who have their Instant Pots and, and are we, making cheese and have time. Can we just buy the books on Amazon or? Yes, Amazon. I checked Powell's. It's not on Powell's yet, but it is definitely on Amazon. And then okay. it will actually physically come out September 29th, but it's up for pre-order okay. right now. Sweet. Claudia, we only have a few minutes left. Um, do you have any advice for um, aspiring food entrepreneurs out there? I think start small, as I mentioned, learn from my mistakes <laughs> um, and really find something unique. Uh, you know, Sarah, like you, I come from a nonprofit and social services background, and I cannot help but approach everything as like filling a need. I want to fill a need. I want to make something um, that is going to bring meaning to people or at least um, solve, solve a problem. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And we have so many problems, especially right now. Right. It's like, do not be discouraged by this. I rate, I uh, launched and created this business during the recession, 2008 and 2009. And I was advised many times by many people that it was a really bad time to start a business, but it you know was quite when the contrary. People, yeah. When people say that, that means the opposite is true. And those folks are just operating from a place of fear. Exactly. And so yeah. fear and limitation. So just don't listen to them. Totally. And I had very little to lose. I had the job on the side. I was very lucky to have that. But like I said, it didn't pay very much. I, I mm -hmm. wouldn't have been able to, to live like on my own. I, I had to have a housemate. Um, so, you know, I started with 500 very precious dollars, a lot of student loans. Um, and took that risk. And, you know, there's just so many resources now for us to be able to participate in e-commerce. There's so many um, supportive businesses in town, all of the local, you know, health food stores and specialty grocers and cheese shops were so, so supportive to me, even the wineries. Um, so really, I think, put your thinking cap on, think this is a great opportunity for you to reinvent yourself, to pivot, and to ask yourself, what do you really want to do? And for me, it was definitely working in the food world. Um, as much as I loved helping um, the girls with self-esteem through music at the Rock and Roll Camp for Girl, it was girls, it was an amazing mission and, and super fun. But, you know, they were having trouble getting grants. They were having trouble paying us because of the recession. So I really felt like I just had to take things into my own hands. And I think that is what we're all going to have to do uh, to some extent right now. So that's my advice. Very I good think, advice. Yeah, I think it's really good. And I think it's inspiring. And I'm um, glad that you're here doing your thing and other people out there can can do the same. So thank you. Claudia, for being a guest on the show today. It was so great to hear you. Thank you yeah. both. Thank fun. you, Claudia. Marketed Choice is Oregon's largest independent family-owned grocery store. With 10 stores in Oregon, it's all about choice. We, ch we focus on having a wide selection of the finest and freshest conventional, natural, organic, local, and health-conscious products. We have more than 1,300 teammates, including real, authentic chefs, bakers, butchers, cheesemongers, florists, and more. We all strive to create an authentic, 
relaxing and enjoyable shopping experience with our customers and truly care about our communities where our teammates and customers live and work. To find the Marketed Choice nearest you, please visit our website at www.marketedchoice.com. At Marketed Choice, we buy local so you can too. <laughs> Tune in live every week, Fridays at 9, or find us on your favorite podcast platform. We're on iTunes and Stitchers. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. And if you want to be a guest on the show, you could submit those to us at startupradionetwork.com. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening. And thank you to Claudia. And everyone have a wonderful week. Bye, Bye. for now. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences. Because food brings people together. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.